Good morning, everybody. Grab your handouts and your Bibles, whatever you're reading Scripture on, and get those ready. And uh, as you're doing that, let me remind you that this is our Expand the Kingdom Offering Sunday and our Commitment Sunday. So get those cards out. There were cards and envelopes on the seats, and I think also in the seat backs in front of you. So if you haven't done that yet, fill those out. Hopefully you've been praying about that. Kathy and I have been doing that. We have, I have our card here. And so today is our First Fruits Offering Sunday as we give to expand the kingdom in this, in this community over and above our normal tithes and offerings. And then uh, make a commitment throughout the year to see what God would have you give in ways he wants to expand the kingdom through your generosity and through the generosity of the life of this church. So hand those in in the offering boxes along with your, your prayer requests. Let's make certain we're praying for one another. And hand all that in at the offer, in the offering boxes at the end of the service. And then we'll see what God will do as we continue to expand the kingdom here in this community, in our time and in our day, and in and through our lives. So it's an exciting time to be together. Today is what day? Everybody know what today is? It's Palm Sunday, right? Which means... Over the next seven days, we will remember. We'll start today specifically remembering what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us. I love what God is doing, even through Cassidy. She went to get her clothes changed. I'd love to be able to say to her, and I'll say it to her later. By the way, I love it that she has her life group here around her today, and that there's life being shared and, and experienced in, in your lives as you share your life with her and with one another. What a great way for her to grow and become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ as she does that in the community that you have formed and, and God is forming in and through you. It's beautiful, wonderful to get to see that and to get to experience that all through the life of the church. And, and God is expanding his kingdom now in Cassidy and through her life, and will continue to do that. It's beautiful, isn't it? That's why we give. That's why we do what we do, and that's why we are called to remember what God has done for us. I don't know if you know this, but in the Hebrew language, there is no word for history. We have that in our English language, but, you know, you can study somebody else's history. But God tells us in, in, in the Hebrew language, there's a word for remember because when we remember, it gets personal, doesn't it? We remember our own story. We remember what God has done for us. God has told his people to remember what I've done for you. He said, remember to his, his original, the, the people called the Israelites, the Hebrew people. He said, remember, I brought you out of the land of slavery, out of Egypt. I took care of you. I provided for you. I led you. I empowered you. And I led you into the promised land. He said, remember that. He even made them, he told them to put in place some celebrations and some feasts and some time to set aside to remember all throughout the year so that they would never forget what God has done for us. And that's what we're doing now. That's what we do this week. Starting today with Palm Sunday, we're remembering. I don't know if you realize this. This is, this is such a big deal. And, and really, you know, I'm, I'm going to set you up for this a little bit. I hope the 11 o'clock service is more excited about this than the 9 o'clock service was. I was up here dancing, jumping up and down, yelling and screaming at 9 o'clock, and everybody just watched me. Uh, so join in, will you? We're called to celebrate the biggest event that ever happened in the history of the universe. Yeah, thank you. It's so much easier 
to celebrate that with you than just by myself, being watched as I celebrate. You realize that the whole earth was groaning in agony and suffering since Genesis 3 for 4,000 years. The, the creation of the world waited on Jesus to arrive on the scene. And even now, we wait for him to return. But finally, Jesus came. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was the Passover lamb. We get to now, we get to remember him the way God's people were told to remember their exodus out of slavery, out of Egypt, and finally entry into the promised land. All that God has done for us, we're called to remember. You realize that uh, it's, it's such a big event. You realize that Jesus is the rescuer, the restorer, the redeemer, and the first four books of what we call the New Testament. Those of us who are Christians in today's world, we think of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's really just one book. But we, we think of the, uh, the New Testament, and we look at the first four books. It's really the, the same story told from four different perspectives, you realize, have you ever read through the Gospels and looked to see how much of the content in each of the Gospels records the next seven days? The time frame between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. If you look at the Gospel of John, a full nine chapters out of 21 chapters in the Gospel of John records the events that unfolded between the time Jesus entered into Jerusalem until Resurrection Sunday. Uh, if in the book of Mark, seven chapters in the book of Mark. Out of 16 chapters in the book of Mark, uh, uh, remember, they talk about, they, they record the events, Mark does, of the, the events that happen in the next seven days. Uh, nine chapters in the book of Matthew. Out of 28, nine out of 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. A significant percentage of everything recorded in the first four books of the Bible record the events that unfolded, that, re that happened between now and Resurrection Sunday. Are you getting the picture? This is a really big deal, friends. It's a really huge deal. It's the biggest event that's ever happened in the history of the world. Still to this day, the last 6,000 years, nothing else even comes close. The, com the coming of Jesus, his birth that we celebrate at Christmas time, that's a pretty big deal, but this is even bigger. It's even bigger. This is what we're celebrating, the biggest event that's ever happened in the history of the planet. And, the, and the, the story of God is told as he unfolds it in his word for us. You know, from the time Jesus walked the planet until today and beyond, he invites us to join the party. I'm, I'm talking about a political party. I'm talking about the party, the celebration that's always going on in heaven. That's why we talk about these six characteristics of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Because that's always happening in heaven. Everybody around the throne room of heaven and now extended here on earth, all around the globe, worship God. Everything that happens in heaven is all about the throne room of God and what God is doing, what God is thinking, what God is saying, the presence of God 
everything that happens is all about worship. The other thing that happens is they connect. They connect to the heart of God. They connect to the heart of one another. God wanted to extend that option, that ability, that blessing to us so that we too could connect to the heart of God and to one another. That's why we talk about the characteristics of a fully devoted follower of Jesus being worship and connect. We grow. We grow to maturity from children to adults. We grow spiritually. We're supposed to become fully devoted, mature followers of Jesus. Then we we serve the way Jesus did. He said, and this is what he's doing in Jerusalem, the day, he, the day he enters into Jerusalem. Imagine if he wasn't a servant. He never would have taken this trip. He wouldn't have come from heaven to earth to begin with if he wasn't a servant. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I came to be the servant of all. He came to give. That's what we're going to talk about today. He came to give. If he hadn't been a giver, we never would be able to know God. You realize that? If Jesus wasn't a giver, you and I couldn't know God the way we know him. It's amazing. He came to yield to the leadership and authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit fills me. God tells me what I'm supposed to say. Nothing I say, he said, comes to me on my own. I'm just saying what the Father tells me to say through the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything that happened, everything that Jesus did, he did because of the power and the presence and the leadership and the filling of the Holy Spirit in and through his life. We're just doing what Jesus did and what happens in heaven. We're just joining the party. We're joining the celebration and we're joining the kingdom as it continues to expand in our own lives and through our lives now in this community. That's what this offering today is all about. And over the next 12 months, that's what we do here as a body of Christ here at Christ Church. You know, Jesus was was our rabbi. Uh, he still is our rabbi. And everything he taught came from the Old Testament. And so I want to look this morning at some of what he taught, but also look back in the Old Testament because what he's saying is he's, he's giving us teaching, he's giving us understanding of what God has been teaching from the very beginning of time. He came here to establish his kingdom. His vision and mission was to establish his church and his bride, a Christ people. The title of the message this morning is Give What We've Been Given. We can't give anything unless we've first been given something, right? We can't give our lives, we can't give time, we can't give anything unless we first... That's why the Bible says in 1 John four nineteen, it says, We love because He first loved us. We get to love because He first... We receive from God and then we can... Give. We can be generous the way he is generous. So on Palm Sunday, one of the many ways Jesus gave and demonstrated his love for us is he rode on a donkey over the Mount of Olives and down the hill past the Garden of Gethsemane and across the Kidron Valley and into the city of Jerusalem. I don't know if you know this, but that's the same path that King Solomon rode. And the the prophecy about the coming Messiah was written about King Solomon as he rode into the city. Remember, King Solomon is the king who builds the temple. 
There's a type and shadow of the Savior who will build his church, who will build each one of us, the temple of God that lives. We are the temple of God. That's a type and shadow. The king who came to build the temple rode in the same path over the Mount of Olives, down past the Garden of Gethsemane, across a little valley called the Kidron Valley and into the city. The same path Jesus took, it's also the same path that every Passover, this time of year, on Palm Sunday, that they would bring the Passover lambs, the perfect unblemished lambs being kept in the hills around Bethlehem and Bethany. They would lead them across the, over the hill, through the Mount of Olives, down the hill, next to the Garden of Gethsemane, across the Kidron Valley, and through the Sheep Gate. It's the same path that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the sacrificial lamb takes as he comes over the, come on somebody, as he comes over the, the Mount of Olives and by the Garden of Gethsemane and across the Kidron Valley and into Jerusalem to be the King of Kings and the sacrificial lamb. I think that's a pretty big deal. That's what he did on Palm Sunday. Thank you for getting excited about that so it's not just me up here. That's what he is. That's who he is. He's an extravagant giver. And because he is a giver, that's what he did. If he wasn't a giver, he would have stayed in hiding. That's what Jesus was doing until Palm Sunday. Between the time he raised Lazarus from the dead until the time he entered the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he was actually in hiding. There was a death warrant out for him. The leaders of the temple vanguard were determined to, to eliminate and destroy Jesus because they knew he was the Messiah. They knew he was doing everything the Messiah had been prophesied to do. Nobody can raise somebody from the dead after four days. Nobody. I won't go into the specifics of that miracle, but it's the biggest miracle of all the miracles Jesus ever did. And it fulfilled a prophecy. He fulfilled all of the prophecies that had been told about him from what we know as the Old Testament. And when he fulfilled that one, throngs of people all across the Holy Land knew he was the Messiah. That's why they gathered in Jerusalem that day, waving palm branches and putting their cloaks on the ground so that the donkey he was riding on down that same path into the city of Jerusalem, they knew he was the king. They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They knew he was the Messiah. And so the temple vanguard were determined to get rid of him. He'd stayed into hiding until this day. And now it's time to stay with the masses where they won't be able to get to him until they arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane later in the week. We'll remember that. Friday night we'll gather to remember Good Friday service at 7 o'clock here. I want you to be here for that. And then Sunday we are going to gather and celebrate the biggest event that's ever happened in the history of the world. Thank you. I want somebody to join her in praising God because that's something to praise God about. Amen. Thank you. Let's look at what Jesus has to say in Luke chapter 6. This is the, toward the end of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' inaugural address, and he's now speaking as a rabbi, our rabbi, and he's giving understanding of what God has been teaching in the Old Testament because it's been misunderstood and all through his message called the Sermon on the Mount he's clarifying what God has been teaching and toward the end of that message he says some things that are the, this is the first time anything like this has ever been spoken on the planet it's a really big deal when Jesus says in Luke 6 35 love your enemies say what That's never been spoken on this world, in this world before. But that's our rabbi speaking to us. What he says is binding on us. Do good 
and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons. Isn't that great news? Of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. We know that, don't we? We've experienced that. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Next verse, 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you'll not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. I don't know if you'll notice, if you've noticed yet, but everything he's saying for us to do so far has one thing in common. It has generosity in common. And none of these things are possible without having a generous heart like our Heavenly Father has toward us. When we have a generous heart toward others the way our Heavenly Father has had toward us, these things are possible. If we don't have a generous heart, it's not possible to not judge. It's not possible to pardon. It's not possible to forgive. It's not possible to not hold a grudge. It's not possible to love your enemies. So he goes on to verse 36 and he says, Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure pressed down shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, often that passage of Scripture is used to talk about money. But if you read from Luke, 30, uh, Luke 6, 35 through 38, you'll notice that the word money is never used. It's talking about pardon, it's talking about love, it's talking about not holding a grudge, it's talking about do not judge, it's talking about giving, but the word money is never used. Because God is talking about the condition of our hearts. The way we think. He's really talking about the condition of his heart and the way he wants us to be like him. Now, most of the time when we think about giving, we think about money. But we won't even give money, we won't give anything, time, resources, attention, unless our heart is the right kind of heart. We have the right condition happening in our heart. The reason I know generosity does involve money, Jesus said that that it did. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he's talking about money and various kinds of treasure. I also know that it involves money because I, I watch when guys uh, give and they try to give and when they reach for their wallet, it's like they, they kind of grab their chest like something's, you know, like, like there's a string. So I know that it's all connected. It's like it's painful sometimes for some people who are not very generous. I don't notice that with people who are generous. In fact, people who are generous will be the first one to reach and go, how can I help? How can I give? How can I help? How can I be generous and help you out? So our hearts do follow our treasure. We know that. That's what Jesus tells us. And if you don't believe me, watch a grandparent sometime. Follow their grandchildren around. I mean, I follow my grandchildren around like this. Here, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Right? Here, take this. Now let's take a picture, you cute little thing. I mean, that's what, that's, um, you know, we follow our treasure, don't we? That's what our hearts are connected to our treasure. So that's very true. 
applies to every area of life. Let's go to the source of Jesus' teaching. Jesus was always teaching on something that had already been written in the Old Testament. In fact, um, we know that even when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness after he was baptized in the Jordan River, when the adversary comes to attack him and destroy him and try to get him to follow him, Jesus uses Deuteronomy chapter 8. He quotes from Deuteronomy 8 when he says, when, when Satan tempted Jesus to turn the stones into bread when G, knowing Jesus was hungry, he said, the word of God says you should not live by bread alone. Read Deuteronomy 8. He used Deuteronomy 8 in the whole exchange there. So he's always using God's word. Let's see what he has to, what, what, what we see in Deuteronomy 15. We skip ahead a few chapters about what God has to say about developing a generous heart. Deuteronomy 15 verse 7 starts this way. If there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns in your land, which, look carefully now, listen carefully, which the Lord your God is, what's it say? Giving you. Remember who gave you the land that you have. You shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand. Don't you love that imagery? Freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Now, if you're going to lend someone generously and not expect it to be paid back, what you're really doing is you're giving a gift, aren't you? You're really giving a gift, and if it comes back, great. If it doesn't, then you've, you've been very generous. That's what God's really saying here. I love the way generosity works because generosity destroys the monster of greed. You ever notice that? You realize that the monster of greed is constantly lurking in the background and in the shadows and around the corners in our lives, ready to climb on our backs and whisper in our ear, you shouldn't give that. You should keep that for yourself. You're going to need that. You better save that for a rainy day. You're going to need that later. You shouldn't give. You shouldn't be generous. That's what the monster of greed is always saying. But being generous destroys him. It pulls him off of your back and it causes us to be able to hear the voice of God. That's what generosity does. Let's talk about the path to generosity. Jesus walked a path of generosity the day he came over the garden, over the, uh, in through the, the Mount of Olives, down by the Garden of Gethsemane, and into the city of Jerusalem. He was walking some of the final steps of his own path of generosity. Let's see what that looks like in our lives. Because if we're going to walk a path of generosity then it looks this way. We, number one, we need to develop, a di discipline a selfish heart. You know, what if Jesus had been selfish? He never would have come to heaven, from heaven to begin with. He never, certainly would have followed through on what he did for us. And we wouldn't be here. And the world wouldn't be changed the way it has been changed. Do you realize because Jesus was not selfish, because he was generous, the world looks the way it looks because Jesus came and did what he did. You realize that there would be very few hospitals in existence today unless Jesus had started to be generous and change the hearts of men and women. 
There would be very few schools of higher education. There would be very few of the things we enjoy today and take for granted today had Jesus not been generous. Deuteronomy 15.9 says, Beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of remission, is near and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother and you give him nothing. Then he may cry out to the Lord against you and it will be a sin in you. Let me explain what he's talking about. The passage of Scripture here is talking about what God told his people to do, where every seven years he said, let the land rest, don't plant crops, depend on the Lord, trust in what he has already given you, set aside enough for the seventh year, let the land have its Sabbath rest, and on the seventh year, anyone who has a debt against you, forgive the debt and let it go. He's like... Let's, let's level the playing field. Everybody goes back to zero. All debts are canceled. And we're going to start all over, all of us together, depending on the Lord. How many of you would like to have that system in place again? I mean, all your debts canceled, that'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? So what God is saying here is when someone comes to you and you know that seventh year is near, let's say it's the year six and a half and your neighbor comes to you and he's in need and he's asking you for money and he's asking to, for you for a loan, he's saying, don't put this, in, this thought in your mind that it's only six months away from the seventh year and you're going to have to forgive that debt. Be careful of what's happening. Discipline yourself to be a generous, to have a generous heart so that you will be generous when you when your neighbor asks you, discipline a selfish heart. Let me ask you, why did God create giving to begin with? Why did he come up with this whole idea? Do you really think God needed us to give? I've asked people at times, why does God want us to give? And often people will say, well, because he needs resources in his kingdom for ministry. No, no, that's really not true at all. I mean, God's not, there's no shortage of gold streets in heaven. God's not needing anybody to pay for the electric bill. God doesn't need our money, but he wants us to be like him. He is a giver. And the only way our hearts will become like the heart of God is if we do what God does. If we become like he is. And it's the only way we're going to continue to battle against the monster of greed and the enemy of our souls. If we become more and more like God, then we're becoming less and less like the adversary. I thought that was a pretty exciting point, personally. Um, He didn't do it for his sake. He doesn't need you and me to give. Um, He needs us to become more like him. Um, Second point is we need to deliver a grieving heart. This passage of Scripture goes on in Deuteronomy 15, 10. He says, you shall generously give it to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. Isn't that an amazing promise? That when you're generous and when you give generously, truly generously and not with a grieved heart, that your heart's becoming more and more like God. God promises he is going to bless you. Bless all the work of your hands, all of your undertakings. I don't know about you, but I want God's blessing and favor in my life. Now, what we know is that greed attacks us before we're generous, and grief attacks us 
after we're generous, doesn't it? Greed says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But then if we do, grief comes along and says, what were you thinking? You're going to need those resources, and they're just going to squander it anyway. Do you ever make a commitment to give a generous gift, and then something really expensive breaks? Ever have that happen to you? It happened to Kathy and I on Thursday. Um, we were, had been praying about what God wanted us to give for Expand the Kingdom offering and, and over the next you know, 12 months and so. And um, on Thursday, our dryer stopped working. It started smoking instead of drying. And um, you know, it was one of those beyond repair kinds of things. And here we go, you know, just, just like clockwork. It often happens about the time we've prayed about what God wants us to give. And you know what that does for us? It reminds us that he is a generous God and he has always provided and he is going to provide. And he has told us what we're going to give and we're going to give it in joy and with generosity because he's always done it. He's done it always, always before. Um, speaking, of, speaking of money, Kathy's gone, had to leave this morning to uh, go help Lauren. Lauren's called this morning as the first service was starting and um, she's not feeling well and three little girls so Kathy left and I was just remembering that because she's gone I don't have any cash for lunch <laughs> so I guess it's going to be mac and cheese for me so um, I'm kind of needing some cash um, got any cash <laughs> yeah. you got me Scott you got some cash did you help me out I'm sorry? Oh, you're not going to, it's not going to be painful for you? Would you? Thanks. Sorry for the, I was just thinking about this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Wow. Now that's generous. It's a hundred bucks. Woo. Anybody want to go to lunch? We'll go as far as it'll go. Wow. That's, uh, thanks, Scott. Appreciate that just thinking about that um you may you may wonder why I just thought of that and um why Scott was so generous to come up and give me a hundred dollars um it's because it's my hundred dollars I gave it to him before the service started <laughs> so it really wasn't difficult for you to be generous was it do you have any grief in your heart over giving a hundred dollars he had to pause for a second to think about it, didn't you? Uh, no, he didn't. Uh, it wasn't difficult for him to give me $100 because it's not his $100. Are you getting what I'm talking about? So we're managers, aren't we? We're stewards. And I love it that several of you were about to give me some cash. We got to do that more often. <laughs> um, I love your generous hearts and the way you give because you know it's not yours anyway. It was easy for Scott because I'd already given him $100. So we need to, we need to deal with a grieving heart. Thirdly, we need to develop a generous heart. Deuteronomy 15, 14 says, you shall furnish him liberally 
from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat, and you shall give him as the Lord your God has blessed you. Give him everything he needs. Give him something to eat, something to drink. Take care of all of his needs. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we're all born selfish, but we're born again in the kingdom to be generous. This is why our children never need to be taught to want more or to be selfish. We need to teach them to be generous, right? That's why most, almost all of us, our children, even us, when we were growing up, one of the first words we learned when we were little was what? Mine. Yeah, we, we all get it. It's not difficult. We see it all the time. We have to teach our children to share. Our grandchildren go in the toy room where we have more toys than, you know, enough for hundreds of kids probably, and they all go in there and they'll be playing, and then one of the other kids will walk up and pick up something right next to one of the ones that's playing with something else, and they'll go, hey, I was playing with that. They weren't playing with that. It was just within arm's reach. And that's a, that's a tendency we all have, isn't it? We think that whatever's within our reach belongs to me. Nobody has to teach us that. We have to learn to be generous. We have to learn to share. We have to learn to be more like God. And he promises he will bless you. Finally, number four, we need to develop a grateful heart. Deuteronomy 15.15 says, you shall remember, there's that word again, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day, be generous. Remember to be thankful. Remember what God has done for you. We need to, just like the people of God were to remember that he had led them out of the land of Egypt and into the promised land, we now are to remember that our Savior walked over a hill one day and through a valley into the city of Jerusalem in preparation for going to the cross for us. The sacrificial lamb who took away the sins of the entire world, mine included. We need to remember to be thankful for all that God has done for us. How could we possibly hold back and not be generous and not be thankful for all that God has done for us. I was once a slave to sin. And now I'm free. And I know many of you could tell your own story. I was thinking this week about people I graduated from high school with. I realized I did the math. I shouldn't do that. I did the math. It's been 36 years this coming May. And I was thinking about the people I've kept track of that I've been able to, you know, stay connected to through the years. And suddenly in my mind, I realized they've, they've sort of become a part of two different categories of people. Unfortunately, there's a, a small group. It's unfortunate because it's a small group of people who found Christ and to see the way they've experienced God's blessing. They've, they've not had a problem-free life, but to see the way they've experienced God's blessing. And now to, when we do connect, we have a common language. We have a common Savior. We're brothers and sisters. We're not just classmates. And we get to experience the beauty and wonder 
and gratitude together of being in the kingdom of God. And we're all raising our children in much the same way. And we have a common value system. And we celebrate the same things. We celebrate the fact that we're in the kingdom of God together. A much larger group, I'll say it this way, have not yet found their way into the kingdom of God. And many of them have not even lived to this point. We've lost several out of our class due to cancer. We had two or we had three students in my in my class before we graduated from high school in a in a class of 54, small class. Three of the of my classmates had cancer. One of them died two weeks after we graduated. A close friend of mine. So we've had a lot of cancer in our class for some reason. We've lost many more from cancer since that time. And many of them are far from God. Many of them deal with alcoholism and drug addiction and the pain and the destruction and the devastation that the enemy of our souls brings into our lives. So as I look at the difference and disparity between the two groups. We all graduated in the same class from the same community, little farming community. We all knew one another well. I just wish they were all in the kingdom of God. I wish they all knew my Savior. I wish they could all know and experience the blessing of God in their lives. I so wish that for every single one of them. I mean, we were close very close class. We got close because of the cancer in our class. We didn't know which one, was, which one of us was going to be next. We're extremely close. I just wish we were all in the kingdom. I wish we all knew the freedom and the victory of being in relationship with the Savior. What's God been saying to you this morning? As we've read from his word about what, it, what he says to us about being generous. Because when we're generous, not just with money, but with our lives, with our time, with our prayer, with our hearts, with our lives, I know that God uses that generosity to invite more and more kingdom people in the kingdom. Just like he did Cassidy through a friend who spent time and prayed, and loved, and led you into the kingdom of God. Isn't that awesome? I'm so glad you're here. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, as we hear your message, Holy Spirit, to us, I pray you are speaking truth and freedom into each one of our lives, and Lord, take this word, take this truth, and cause it to come to life in us, so that we become the children of God who are generous like our Heavenly Father is generous, more and more so every day, we pray. And Father, we're going to have a, a time of ministry, we're going to sing another song to you, a song of worship, and... During this time, Father, of ministry, I pray you'll draw 
men and women to yourself to come to pray, to pray for friends and family, to pray for the needs in our lives, to pray for this week as we prepare to celebrate and remember what you've done for us, to pray for the hundreds and thousands, even millions of people in this world who need to come and know you. Experience your generosity, your grace, your forgiveness, your pardon, your relationship, your love. Lead us, Father, to to reach out to hundreds of people this week and bring them here to know you, to experience life in all of its fullness. And now, Father, as we stand and sing this song, I pray that you'll draw every man, every woman, every young person to be here, to pray and to experience you in your presence. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen.